one now? Am I good? I need to start looking at you guys first, don't I? Right? It just so happens that Dan helped me out there. Um, but from up here, man, what a, what a, it's beautiful to hear the congregation sing um, from, from sitting here. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. Well, there's something else we like to do around here. Uh, we don't just like to sing. We don't like just to pray. We like our Bibles, right? I hope so you do. So if you have your Bibles, I uh, want you to pull those out this morning, and we will be uh, looking at test six together as we walk into the series of Prove It, and that will be in 1 John. We'll be back in 1 John, and we're in uh, chapter two still, and we'll be looking at uh, uh, well, 19 through 27 is what I'm going to read, but if you remember from last week, we're going to look at 24 through 27 a little bit more in depth. And so, if you don't have a Bible uh, here at the church, you're here this morning, if you need one, you want one, there should be some in the pews, uh, or on the back of those, take that, that's a gift from us to you, walk out of here with it. If you already own a Bible, don't take it, you remember I told you that's stealing, and so, um, uh, and so but if you don't have one, please take that with you uh, as a gift from us to you. And so, um, yeah, so if you remember, if you remember from last week, uh, we talked about a three-legged stool, so to speak, of the Christian uh, uh, profession, and I would actually even say the Christian, uh, uh, well, faith, but growth, Christian growth, the three-legged stool to Christian growth. And if you remember last week, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to butt these two together real quick, is we learned that one of the, uh, the legs of the three-legged stool is the Word of God. The Word of God is number one, all right? Number two is the Holy Spirit, Spirit. And number three, what we looked at last week specifically, was the church, each other, in each other's lives. You kick out one of those legs to the three-legged stool, and you're limping a bit in your Christian walk, in your Christian growth and profession. And last week, we dealt with the test of love for the church, if you remember. Have, do you have love for the church? Is imperfect as she is, as smelly as she can be at times, I'm talking about we are they, right, the church. We are imperfect people, imperfect people who serve and worship a perfect Savior. Remember what I told you last week, if you are worried about hypocrites in the church, so am I, um, but I also want you to know if you're specific, not hypocrites, but sinners, um, guess what? Welcome. We'll make room for one more. Amen. Who do you think you are, right? Come on. God is good. In the reality of the Christian's life and profession, we will have love for the church and each other. How do we, if you remember last week, just trying to get us caught up, if you're last week, how do you practice the commands of Scripture to love the one another's of Scripture? Encourage one another, love one another, exhort one another, rebuke one another, right? All these things. How do you do that if you're not in the community of the redeemed, the one another's of Scripture that we have before us? You see, this week, we deal with the other two legs of that stool of the Christian's growth and profession. So here it is, ready? Here's test number six. Test number six in the series is this. Do you have dependence upon God's word and his spirit? That's test six. Dependence upon God's word and his spirit. So this morning, what I'm going to do is, if we can, why, let's stand, if we can, in reverence of this word this morning. This word is more important than anything that can be said by a human mouth. It is before us, so let's, rever- let's, let's give honor to it, and let's listen once again from 19 through 27 for context specifically. 
And and I'll go there uh, starting in 18. Children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. You who have been anointed by the Holy One, and you who have all knowledge, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because, the, because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. But what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Now pay attention. We're in 24. This is where we're going to start much of this this morning. Here it is. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true, and is no lie, just as it has been taught, you abide in him. Father God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we pray that you would be in your word. Lord God, your word is power. Your word is what we hope to find truth in. So Lord, I pray that you'd be in your word this morning. I pray that we would not depart from it, and it would not depart from us. And may it seed itself deep in our hearts, minds, and souls as to produce true fruit. It's in your name we pray, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated once again. Well, if you have that Bible, once again, I'm going to do something this morning. I'm not having a three-point sermon. That's, that's the good Baptist uh, point sermon. I only have two, all right? All right? So I'm not a full, full-fledged Southern Baptist pastor this morning. I only have two points. The two points are this, number one. Point number one, Christians, Christians will find dependence upon God's word and the gospel. Let me say that one more time if you're taking notes. Number one, Christians will find dependence upon God's word and the gospel. If you look with me again in verse 24, I want you to see something with me. It says there in our text, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Now, what I want you to pay attention to in that verse 24 is the word abide. Abide, excuse me, not abide, but abide, okay? Abide. Uh, the word abide comes from the Greek word here. It's a verb. It's a verb. It's a doing thing. It's something that happens. Uh, and so you'll see this in just a second. And I want you to know what that literally means. The word abide in our text this morning in 24 means to stay with. Okay? To stay with. Uh, it, it means to continually remain with. And I like this one even more. It means to sojourn with. Sojourn travel with now the the, the the thing that it's saying here in abide is this remember i told you it was a verb right it's a doing thing um i, I think of oftentimes uh, i you know you know me almost every if there's going to be an illustration i have to pick out of i'm gonna pick a hunting one right right you already know that about me sometimes uh, i know when my children are with me I, a lot of them are introduced to hunting at early ages uh, i know uh you know elijah specifically 
we'd go out early in the morning before the sun would come up because we want to get in our tree stand and we want to get in that place before the deer wake up and walk right past us. But in so doing, I remember oftentimes I would have like a flashlight. Now, my, my, don't, if you ever talk to Elijah about my hunting style, he thinks I'm over the top, okay? I'm the guy who likes deer urine all over him, right? Yeah, I'm like, like cologne, right? Uh, I like going in, I, I like, I'll take off my shoes just to get quieter. My dad's here this weekend. Uh, he, he, we used to hunt when we were younger. He came out to Iowa and watched me hunt, and I think he thought, my gosh, this guy is ridiculously nuts, right? You did. I remember you saying that. Get, you said, loosen up. That's what you told me, Dad. But I remember going into the woods often at night, dark, and I want my son, Elijah, to basically hold on to my belt loop, Right? Because it's dark, we're smacking things. As soon as my son lets go of that belt loop, you know, here I am, Mr. Hunter style, you know, I'm going to do my thing. And I hear, Dad, Dad, where are you? Don't worry, Elijah, you're 14 now, but you haven't always been 14. You were a little pansy, right? So he was a little boy, he's like scared about it. He's like, not anymore, he's tough, he's, he's really strong. But, but what happened was he would get scared in the woods. And here's the thing, he was, he was not abiding with his father in the darkness of the woods. He was susceptible to all kinds of things. What I love about this word abide in our text is it, it means to sojourn with. It means something is moving. Something is going in a direction. It's not sitting still. It's, it's on the move, and we are to find ourselves abiding with, like my son connected to my belt loop as we walked in the darkness of the woods. I'm going to get him to a stand. His dad will get him to the stand. That's the word that you see. It's not stationary. Now, my question this morning is this for us. What is it that John is seeking for his people in the text to abide in? Well, it says right there in our text this morning what they have heard from the beginning. You see that with us. What you have heard from the beginning. What you heard from the beginning, sojourn with it. Stay close to it as not to let go. Twice in this verse, John stresses that the truth that should remain in them is truth that came to them by way of something that they heard from the beginning of their Christian walk. Something they heard from the beginning of their Christian walk. And what was that message that they heard from the very beginning? Brothers and sisters, I'm going to go ahead and fill you in, okay? I'm going to go ahead and tell you the, the answer to that. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the good news of Messiah has come to the nation of Israel. It was the news of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, who had proclaimed this message to them? I'll give you a couple. The prophets had been declaring this message long ago. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one shall come unto the Father but through me. Amen? And then the apostles themselves had a message to give and it is by the prophets and Jesus and the apostles that, the, that, that John tells these folks in 1 John, abide in it, close to it. Be married as you sojourn and walk. Uh, 2 Thessalonians, see if this, oh, here you go, I know why. I always do this. Now it's good, let's see. Bam, the power is mine. 2 Thessalonians 2. 13 through 15, listen to what the word says here. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification, here it is, by the Spirit 
and belief in the truth. That's a double thing. You're going to see that in the course of these points. By the Spirit and by the truth, he goes on to say, to this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions. Now, I want you to know that's not traditions as we would come to know, like, you know, Easter basket traditions or whatever we do in the church traditions, like the, 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 the Christmas cantata tradition, right? That's not, it's the traditions are those things what they held dearly and that taught them of the coming Messiah, right? The word of God that was taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. The point being that the message was a message that was given by one's mouth or in written form. Now, if you remember, I didn't put this one in um, the PowerPoint, but there was something that I always loved about, uh, you remember Timothy in the Bible? Remember Timothy, young Timothy? Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. And then I'm going to go, I don't, I don't usually go last part first, then go back to the first part. But I want to go back to the first part in, 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 in uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 1.5, but first, listen to 3, 14 through 15. He says, Paul is writing to Timothy. But as for you, continue, abide, that word there. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Then something really, really neat happens. Look who it was that gives Timothy this message. One five says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I love this. Paul looks at Timothy and says, Remember the message that you received from the beginning, not just from the Apostle Paul as a disciple of Timothy, but don't forget the message that your mother and your grandmother taught you from when you were this big. Isn't that cool? Don't fear from it. Don't take your finger away from the belt loop, so to speak, with it. Sojourn with it. Abide closely to it. In other words, the men and women of John's day, and in our I would say in ours as well for that matter, who claimed to be one with the Father and the Son were ever to have hope that they actually and truly were, then they had better continually be found sojourning with, abiding with, remaining in, and ever dependent on the teachings of the prophet, Jesus, and the apostles. Now you may have a question for me right now at this moment. How can we possibly come to know the truth? Kyle, the prophets are dead. Jesus has come and gone. He will return, but he's come and gone. All the apostles are worm food. How is it that we can now, they're gone. How do we come to know the truth? I got, or listen, this is like, children will probably blow this thing right up, right? Your word is truth. Here in this book, this is a very old book, this book can do what no other book on the face of the planet can do. This book can, you can read one page and it will literally cut you into pieces. You feel like death. You turn the next page and Jesus says, be healed. It's living and it's active. It does something. No other book on the face of the planet can do this. No other book on the face of the planet can boast what this Bible can boast. 
It cannot scientifically, historically, uh, archaeologically, mathematically. Hello? Your word is truth. And we have before us, we have something before us that our brothers and sisters in some communist China and Muslim countries cannot read by themselves. God has given it to us and we are blessed for it. In this book are the prophets. In this book is the word of Christ. And in this book are all the teachings of the apostles. And this word that we have before us is not only inerrant, but brothers and sisters, listen, it is sufficient. It is sufficient. Now, when I say inerrant, let me tell you why I think this is so important today. In this denomination of the SBC, um, there, there was a generation that went before me when I was still not even born yet. But in the late 70s and early 80s, I was born in the 80s, but in the early 80s, there was a situation going on in this denomination of the SBC. It was the liberal uh, swing of the interpretation of Scripture was coming into the SBC. And there was a conservative movement that raised, raised up and said, the word of God is inerrant, which means, inerrant means with no, uh, with no uh, uh, fault, with no error. But there was a time in this denomination that people were going, no, there are some things that we can interpret differently. There are errors, there are faults. Praise be to God to one generation that stood up and fought that tide, right? Now here's the thing, brothers and sisters, listen. I believe that we are coming to a new generation where even in this denomination and all across the world, especially in America, the word of God is under attack again. And people are saying that the, the word of God is no longer inerrant. But here's the problem. We got, a little, we, got a little, we got a little spin on that, though. I need you to know something. We picked up something along the way. Not only is the word of God inerrant without error, listen to me. Listen to me. The Bible is also sufficient, which means it needs not our help. It does not need our help. It is enough. Today, many are trying to spice up the word of God. Hey, you know, this Bible thing is really cool, but... Uh, you know, there's something from the culture. There's something off the bookshelf. There's something that's been done at that seminary. Let's, let's take that and add that a little bit to what God says to spice things up. You know, people aren't coming anymore just because God's word is being preached. We need, we need some action. We need some life. Maybe, maybe we do it a different way. Maybe we say the word of God is too, uh, too, uh, too sharp sometimes. It, it, it rubs people the wrong way. So what we do is we cut things out of it we don't like. But anytime you add or subtract anything from God's word, you've either polluted it, or you diluted it. We do, not, we do not pollute. We are not to dilute. Thank you. We don't do those things as believers. We don't do those as Christians. Those who are in Christ, those who are mature in Christ, will hold to both the inerrant, without error, and sufficient, it is enough, word of God. They abide in it. They sojourn with it. They find great dependency upon it. And the healthiest and most mature of churches will do the same. It becomes a God in our belief. It becomes a God in our worship. It becomes a God in our action, life, and yes, ministry. Charles Spurgeon. Y'all know who one of my favorite theologians are. You already know who it is. Charles Spurgeon has said, oh, Charles Spurgeon didn't say that. Don't, don't worry, you know, I, got a, I got a plan for that. I got so excited and heated I forgot my notes. Ha-ha. I want to show you a picture of what most people believe that God looks like today. 
Remember I told you that he is both inerrant and he is sufficient. Today, if I was to draw a picture of God, and that's before you right now, that is the picture of our modern God. Our God has been left to nothing but a big ear. We say to God all the time, God, we'll love you and we'll worship you as long as you listen to me. As long as you hear my prayers. As long as you do as I say. But you let God begin to speak and we say, shut up. Let God tell you that he sees all that we do and we say, don't look. God, don't look, don't speak. All I need you to do is be an ear. And as long as you're an ear, I'll worship you every day of my life. As long as you pretend as if somehow the God of the universe, the creator of all things, is a genie in the bottle, which you rub in order to get, poof, what do you want? Poof, what do you want? Then we'll worship him just fine. We'll worship him just fine. But here's the thing. There's a lot of people that have no problem with Jesus Christ. They just don't like his word very much. We have a lot of Christianity today that is fine with Jesus, so long as it's a Jesus in their own image. But let him be the biblical Jesus of Scripture, and we'll turn and say, not my God. This, in a large way, in part, is American Christianity. Let me tell you what Charles Spurgeon said. Back on my notes. I love this. And I'm just, I'm just I, hope, I hope this isn't a children hear this, but I'm just idiot enough to believe what I'm about to say. He said this. He said this. The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. What does he want with your guardian care? Let the pure gospel go forth in all its lion-like majesty, and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of all its adversaries. The best thing I can do as a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist of God's word is to believe so strongly about this word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Do I need to come up here every Sunday morning and go, now I'm going to defend it. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. And let me show you. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you what I need to do. If I am to be a messenger of God, the best thing I can do is to get out of the word's way. You need the word of God. Not my interpretations or my opinions or my little funny stories. You need Jesus. And you need him to speak clearly unto you. I'd be better off defending a lion. Now, I know I'm, I'm pretty, I look pretty spiffy and buff up here, right? You know that's not true. Me and Ed were talking about our pants is not fitting anymore, right? The fact is, guys, listen to me. A lion doesn't need me to defend it. All that a lion needs me to do And watch the lion do what lion things do. Wow. Right? They don't need me to defend. A lion does not need to be defend him. Brothers and sisters, church, do we pass this test? Have you great love and dependence upon the word of God in his scripture? In, in, in 2 John 4, John, who wrote this letter, 1 John, he says this often. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. uh, 3 John or 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are, listen, walking in the truth. In John 17, 7, John again says, now this time in his gospel, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. One more, okay, one more, one more, one more. God's word is, there's like, there's too many, I I can read all day, right? Ephesians 12, excuse me, it's not Ephesians, it's Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 4. For the word of God 
is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Get out of its way. Some of us, I'm not talking about us. I would never preach to us, right? I'll preach to people out there who need it, right? Some of us, some churches today, use the Bible, use his scripture in their personal lives or in our worship or Sunday morning gatherings like it's some blunted stick. It's a, it, it's a double-edged sword able to penetrate to the dividing side. It's, it's powerful. It has, the power is in the word. We have churches and places all over the place that take it like it's this, like it's this blunted stick and we go, hey, word of God, now let's get to the good, good stuff. The Bible is clear. A Christianity devoid of God's word is a woefully sick, as in anemic, a not, and maybe possibly, possibly a non-existent Christianity. Let us be careful, brothers and sisters. Test one, test A of this test six. Do you have love for God's word? There's one more. There's one more. Test two. Just test B in this one. Test uh, in test six. B. Christians will have, and Christians will be influenced by the Holy Spirit. It will be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look with me once again, back in our text, 20 and 21, and then I'm going to buzz over and hit 27. But it says in our text this morning, in 20 and 21, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is in the truth. And then it goes down into, say, there in 27. But... The anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true, and is no lie, that just as it was taught you, abide in him. Now, the word, if the first word was abide in regards to God's word, now we're looking at a new word. The new word here in our text is anointed or anointing. Now, here in our text, anointed or anointing comes from that word, that noun, which literally means Ointment or oil. Ointment or oil. In this text, it is being used figuratively and used in reference to the teaching ministry and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in and every believer's life. The Holy Spirit being the efficient aid, the efficient, the aid in getting a knowledge of the truth. In other words, the word of God is before us. That is, your word is truth. But there is another aspect. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and enlivens the eyes. You know the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Once was blind. I was deaf. I see now. I hear now. The Holy Spirit comes and awakens the eye for us to understand and believe and see and cherish and, yes, love the word of God before us. And by the way, before you, get, before you forget who does that, let me just tell you, it should lead all of us to absolute humility. It is all of grace and mercy of God. It is all by the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. Due to the believer's anointing or being influenced by the Holy Spirit, they have the true understanding of God that comes exclusively through and by Jesus Christ alone. Understand this knowledge, they understand it, and I want you to understand that this knowledge is always awakened through the Holy Spirit's work of illumination as to love Jesus, which is solely always tethered to his word. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in your hearts. He has shown into your hearts 
to give the light, to give the light, we were the ones living in darkness, remember that? He's shown into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Listen, in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. Listen to Jesus' own words in John 16, 7 through 8, and I'll look, and then I'll do 13 through 15 really quickly. And it says there, this is Jesus. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. We need, we want, you want the helper. You, Jesus said, you're going to want him soon. I got, I got to go so you can get on with the show, right? You gotta, I got something for you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. If you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit this morning, you need to know something. Jesus Christ has a love for his Father's glory. Amen? Jesus Christ has a love for his own glory, amen? Guess what? He gives you his spirit. Therefore, you Christian man or woman this morning, guess what you should have? A desire for God's glory in Jesus Christ, amen? This is natural. This is natural to the heart of the disciple. Meaning, these Christians, we today even, do not need any secret, special, or outward knowledge that flows from human interpretation and reasoning separated and untethered from the, 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 the word of God in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? Those groups of people who say, God has spoken to me. I have a word from God. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. God has spoken to me too. And I've been reading his Bible. I've been reading his scripture. God speaks to me as well. Sometimes, maybe what you say that God spoke from your mouth in your experience while you were eating a burrito at Taco Bell contradicts what I read this morning in my Bible time when it came to God's word. There's a problem there. Who's the liar? Not God's word. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is desperately sick above all things who can understand it. I've met many a people who've told me that God has spoken to them that I believe that might have been a, a, a bad burrito from Taco Bell the night before. We gotta be careful. And like the false teachers, that's what they were doing. God has a special message from me. God wants me to tell you something. Hey, let's gather around some people. Hey, listen to me. I know you're listening to what the apostles taught, but I've got something to add or something to, to take away. We have many voices that are doing this today as well. They, they've derived some secret knowledge from God outside of the Scripture. And brothers and sisters, let me just say this as we go on and almost go into conclusion is this. This is absolutely dangerous. The whole, the whole aspect of Mormonism was based off of a man who had an encounter with an angel and had a message to say. Hello. There's a lot of people who believe in that message of one named Joseph Smith. Hey, I lived in Indonesia. 
been overseas in Iraq and Kuwait. I know Islam fairly well. If I remember correctly, I, didn't they also have someone who actually had an encounter with an angel? And didn't they, from that teaching, start a religion called Islam? Many will come and say, I've heard a message. i got something to say. And not just Mormons, not just Muslims, but also many, many within Christendom. Listen, you can sell all kinds of books on what God has told you outside of the word of God. And people will flock to it. Remember, there will come a time where people will not put up with sound doctrine, but will suit, that will gather themselves around teachers to, that, that will suit them, that have itching ears, and they will, they'll gather around themselves teachers in such fashion and manner. But I want to show you something. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. They say something about me. I don't know. Listen to what, what Paul says to the church of Galatia. By the way, there were people coming in and spreading all kinds of false heresy and teaching about Jesus Christ. They didn't outright deny Jesus. They just tried to change him. This is what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who came, uh, who called you in the grace of Christ and are, are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, meaning the apostles, can you believe this? You remember he says what you heard from the beginning. Beginning. Here's the cool thing about what you hear from the apostles from the beginning. From the beginning, they were teaching what they were supposed to teach because they walked with Jesus. You see that? The apostle can get away from Jesus Christ later on in life, and he's saying, look, even if we are to teach you something different than what you heard before, what it says in this text. If an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one you, we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The word accursed here in Greek is anathema. It's the strongest language in the Bible. It means eternally damned with no hope. I don't care where you get your message. Book, chapter, verse. Brothers and sisters, book, chapter, and verse. Mark it down. The Spirit of God never seeks to help us gain any teaching or knowledge that does not first flow from the Word of God in His Bible. The work of the Holy Spirit never seeks to go beyond what is written, already being established by the prophets, the apostles, and even Jesus Christ Himself. Again, God's Word is both inerrant, and listen to me, it is sufficient. It has been stated that if you are really bent on hearing a word God, from God audibly, go to your bathroom and read your Bible out loud. You want to hear a message from God out loud? Have your father read it to you out loud. God's word is inerrant and it is sufficient. By the way, it's been tested. Did you know that? It's not continually messing up. Oops. Bad burrito night at Taco Bell. It's been tested. It's, it, 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 the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, listen to me. The Holy Spirit, it helps us accept and abide in the teachings of the Bible. The Holy Spirit helps us grow in our understanding and love of that Scripture. It helps us live out and practice the teachings of Scripture. It helps increase our confidence and hope in the Scripture. But it never seeks to contradict, add to, recreate, or change the Scripture of God. It does not. And another one of my favorite theologians goes by the name of Charles Spurgeon. 
Yeah, and listen to this. I love this one. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Hello, I'm talking about me. Charles, listen, can you be a little nicer on the preacher? That's right. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converters of souls. Personalities don't lead people to Jesus. The gospel leads people to Jesus. Otherwise, men would be the converters of souls, nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We must preach until our tongues rot off, till we would exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the word of God to give it the power to convert the soul. If God does not save men by the truth, he certainly will not save them by lies. And if the old gospel is not competent to work a revival, then we must simply do without that revival. If a revival of God cannot happen in Wilmington, North Carolina, in this church because of people who are called by his name, who love his word and are obedient to his truth, brothers and sisters, if a revival can be given to us any other way outside of that, let's pass on it. Let's pass on it. If it can be made by my hands, then it is woefully inadequate for me to have it to have my affection. I want, I desire a true move of God that cannot be explained away except for God showed up. Let's not steal his glory. Let's get out of the way and watch what God is doing. God is the missionary God. You know that, right? He is building his church. And while we are supposed to be obedient, he doesn't need our help. Whew. God, he doesn't need my help. Every illustration will be a hunting illustration. Right? Here's my conclusion. So church, here is test six. Do you pass the test? Not only do you love the church, being a part of the three-legged stool that we looked at of the Christian growth and profession, of the Word, His Spirit, and each other. However, do you love and have a great dependence upon God's Word and His Spirit? question is, do you abide in God's Word personally and as a church? Do you abide in and have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our prayers and, listen to me, in our desperation? How many of you have gotten recently desperate for more? move of God no 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 I'm telling on myself here I want to be more desperate for God that's a despair I'm okay with let us be desperate for more of God those who are mature in Christ have these things rooted in their souls a love for the church a love and dependence upon God's word and a love and dependence on his spirit is once stated by the Chinese believer in underground communist China when asked by the white American missionary came to visit, what most surprises you about the American church? The answer of the Chinese believer was this, how much that they can accomplish without the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not good. I remember being at a church in Tennessee once. I call it a Six Flags Over Jesus Church. And I remember we had all our programs and all our things that were thumping and they were, we had budgets and we, have, we had all this, the nice facilities you can possibly think of. Brothers and sisters, look, I remember going into a, a, a staff meeting one Sunday morning 
or excuse me, one Monday morning after church. I was young, younger than Dan. By the way, Dan has a mustache, so he's a, he's a man now. You know that, right? All right? And what happened was, I remember asking a question. I meant well, but it struck me. If Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit was to get up and leave next Sunday, would we even know that he was gone? That's a question I'm still asking. We still not have Awanas on Wednesday nights? Will we not still have camps? Will we still not do the stuff of church? Will we not meet together and get out our budgets, spin and If God was to leave in the power of his spirit, would we even know that he was ever here or that he left? My prayer is that if he was to ever leave, we would be growing even more desperate for him. We would know that he's not here. Let us grow dependent upon God and his spirit. Church, let us not settle for a cheap imitation of a true move of God. As Spurgeon stated, if a revival can be accomplished apart from his word and apart from dependence upon his spirit, then let us give a hard and cold ass. We do not desire it. We who are in Christ were made and saved, I would even say this, redeemed for more than all of this. Amen? Are you bored with Christianity? If you are, don't answer it. Don't answer it out loud because I'm not, I'm not about shame and guilt here. Conviction I love, right? Shame and guilt, we don't, we don't like that. Don't answer it. If you're bored, could it be that maybe you haven't got off the sidelines yet and got into the game? There's nothing boring about being a child of God, living for his glory as a servant. Today, he either comes and gets me or I remit him. I pray that we are growing our love of each other, love of God's word, great dependence upon his spirit, the glory and the praise of God, the joy of us for us, and the good of a watching world that does not know Jesus Christ. Amen? Music team, come on up. And this is my prayer this morning, that we would be such as these. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. Love you. We thank you for all that you God, I pray that the gospel of grace, your mercy, God, that we have before us in America, Lord, we, we take so advantage of the fact that we have this word in this morning. No one's at the back with a gun because they can't read it. At least not yet. God, oftentimes, I think you've spoiled us. How could it be said that we who've been given much, Lord God, have been spoiled for it, taken it for granted. We've taken the good gift that you've given us, Lord God, and we're squandering it. Turn, yes, Lord, the church in America back to her first love. We're growing cold. It's getting dim. Lord, is there still a spark in us yet? I pray that that would be the case here at College Acres. Help us, Lord God, to be a light in a dark place. 
Help us to love one another. Help us to love your word and have great dependence upon your spirit. And Lord, may you receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise for we cannot boast in anything save the good news of our Jesus Christ. Thank you for redeeming us for this end. Be with us and help us to accomplish it, Lord. For apart from you, we can do nothing. With you, Lord God, we can do possible things. It's in your name we pray, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.